The Plant, A Steampunk Story, by Francis Rosenfeld. Chapter 20. Naturally, the librarian told the boys' parents and teachers the good news that Richard and Jack had single-handedly made the second dome happen, very excited about the spirit of adventure the two had displayed, and praising the innovative approach they took to create something so extraordinary. To a great surprise, but not to Richard and Jack's, who wished they could have moved to a parallel universe where people didn't disapprove of the plant and anyone associated with it, the boys' parents didn't take lightly to the news. Their son, whom they trusted to know what he was allowed to do and what he wasn't, and who was raised to never displease his elders in the slightest, was the main protagonist in the propagation of something they considered the annihilation of their values and way of life. Nothing, not the increased factory output, not the new foundry, not the plethora of new devices that clearly had made her life easier would ever convince Carol that the plant wasn't evil, and by association, she considered anybody who interacted with it evil too. The fact that her son was one of those people was a serious blow to her maternal fulfillment and something she mourned going forward, making sure her grief weighed down heavier than a tombstone on the hearts of the other family members. Tom was conflicted about the plant, since he kind of liked the fact that he didn't have to break his back to provide, and the future looked just a little safer and brighter than before, but then again, in his entire marriage, he did everything in his power not to displease his wife, so he did what was expected of him and had a stern conversation with their son. That conversation was the last he and Richard had, because from that day forward he decided to give his son the silent treatment. The teaching staff at the boys' school set up a meeting, involving everybody in a brainstorming session, to figure out what would be the best approach to the problem. They were in a bit of a bind, because, despite the very creative truth-telling about how the dome had come to life, the boys didn't really do anything wrong or broke any rules that they could think of, and they felt really uncomfortable punishing them, for fear that this would squelch their scientific curiosity and their innovative spirit going forward. Some of the teachers pointed out that what the boys had done created a dangerous precedent for children, encouraging them to get involved in potentially hazardous and sanctioned activities, and besides, the parents had expressed unequivocal outrage for such pursuits, so the school had to do something to support their disciplinary efforts. At the end of a fiery debate, where both pros and cons were vehement, the teachers came to an agreement around a compromise, which consisted of an hour of detention twice a week for the remainder of the semester. Jack's mom was furious. Not only she didn't have the time to deal with her son's disobedience, because she was overwhelmed with duties and responsibilities, both at work and at home, but she took the fact that she wasn't able to sniff out Jack's extracurricular activities as a personal failure, one that she wasn't willing to own up to. In order to maintain control over the dreadful situation, she decided that it was in Jack's best interest to see one of her friends and colleagues, who was specializing in child psychology, for counseling, to draw out the roots of his rebellious behavior. The librarian, who really didn't mean any harm, was saddened by the turnout of events, and she softly expressed her support for the boy's daring endeavor, but since she wasn't a parent or a teacher and therefore didn't have any authority over the decisions made, she soon returned to her favorite activities and put this sad story behind her. So, Jack and Richard were left to carry out their sentence for no crime committed, at least none that could be proved, since Richard had enough sense to at least not go over the break-ins at the factory and the lab. They did so with a martyred attitude and expression of hopelessness that even Carol couldn't muster, not on her best day. Their teachers, most of whom hadn't agreed with the punishment in the first place, felt uneasy watching the two suffer in detention while their friends were out, free to engage in enjoyable activities, and for this reason they did their best to avoid being around the boys unless they absolutely had to. 
At the end of the month nothing had changed other than the fact that the jolly librarian, who felt uncomfortable carrying the guilt of having made the boys' lives so unpleasant, took it upon herself to pick a new hot spring, one that was charming and in no way smell-challenged, and plant another cutting, together with all the scrap metal it would ever need for the development of a new dome. The project was so fascinating to her that between the observations and the monitoring of the strange life growing right in front of her eyes, she forgot about Richard and Jack altogether and only recalled their fateful involvement in passing, literally, because she had to pass through their garden project on her way to the new dome. Because his parental disavowal also included banishment from the making of any mechanical devices, Richard had a lot of time on his hands, time which he spent laying in his bed, with the headphones blasting tortured guitar music in his equally tortured eardrums, watching the passing of clouds through the dense foliage of the tree in front of the window and wondering what happened to the pan floats. For all he knew, they could have evolved a proto-society and started making themselves rudimentary tools by now. Jack visited sometime, a lot more careful now than before. Despite the fact that their lives weren't exactly enviable, he said, there was ample room for things to get significantly worse. During those visits the two shared whatever they managed to learn from the world of the living outside of their much-diminished universe, information that was sparse and stunted by lack of mobility and social connection. When one says that life is not fair, one doesn't usually provide an example to go with the adage, so its words go to get stored somewhere to the back of the brain, unprocessed. There they joined the debris pile of other untested proverbs, like easy come easy go, or the early bird gets the worm. One had to admit, if only to salvage logic and causality, that the last one was at least statistically flawed, because, for all practical purposes, the two of them were those very birds, and yet, alas, had found themselves now wormless. Jack, whose imagination hadn't been dulled by his recent misfortune, usually pictured the unfairness of life with an and how did that make you feel at the end, like a never agreed upon Sisyphean penance to go over the same situation again and again, with absolutely no breakthrough in sight. Richard's science teacher, who never agreed that the boys should be punished, tried to sweeten his sentence and entered Brenda into several science fairs. Brenda won a couple of them, but since Richard's parents had expressed in no uncertain terms that they would take any activity in any way related to the down plant as a direct challenge to their parental rights, Mr. Feldman never told the boy anything about it. Diane's relationship with her boyfriend was on again, off again, and the unfortunate romantic interest managed to magically metamorphosize from Prince Charming to Adela the Hun every other week, with all the crisis mode associated with the process. Of course, the entire family was very supportive of Diane, regardless of which side she happened to be on at the time, and for once, Richard was a little relieved that his unfortunate confinement prevented him from having to contribute his expected share to the family drama. Not to blind you with the brilliant flash of the obvious, but I told you so. Jack yelled the last comment to make sure his view of the situation didn't get lost in one of Richard's denials. Okay, so you were right, Richard said. I was right about what? Jack pressed him. I should have kept my mouth shut and I could have saved us a lot of hardship, Richard said. And? Jack continued prodding him. And Richard didn't know how to continue his phrase. And you shouldn't have trusted a grown-up to keep your confidence and support you when you're in trouble because they always think they know better and don't feel in any way responsible with respect to your life. Jack continued, furious. Well, you know she planted another dome, right? Richard tried to appease his friend. That's great news. I hope she sends you a picture, which may be the only way you'll ever get to see the inside of it without getting in trouble. Oh, wait. You can't receive it because your parents won't allow it. Way to go, snake. 
Jack hissed bitterly. On a happier note, how is your life lately? Richard tried to change the subject, only managing to add more gas on Jack's emotional pyre. I'm in counselling with a child psychologist, thank you for asking. I got to revisit every second of my life, forwards, backwards and out of sequence, I discussed any and all childhood trauma that I might have been subjected to, I looked deep inside myself to find my true feelings and guess what? I can't share them, cause they are the ones who unleashed this lovely medical specialty upon my life in the first place. It appears that I'm defective, Richard, and I owe it all to our enchanting adventure. This situation is almost bad enough for me to give up making up stories. He threw a quick glance in his friend's direction to see if the latter would take the bait. Richard didn't react. Not. Jack cracked up laughing. And how is life treating you, my friend, he returned the favour. Well, Richard hesitated to answer, trying to get the flavour of bitterness and defeat out of his mouth. Ever since his life had turned sour, he had this strange sensation that everything he ate tasted like ashes. He gathered his courage and continued. My mother mourns me like I'm dead, and my father decided to behave as if I don't exist. I'm a ghost with a heartbeat, Jack, quite an interesting experience, to tell you the truth. You like interesting, right, he retorted sarcastically. Not going to work on me, man. Jack replied. What? Richard said. Guilt. I'm immunized already. One can only go over the same wrongdoing so many times before one completely loses any emotional attachment to it, Jack responded. Doesn't matter anymore, does it? Water under the bridge. Sand past the top of the dune. Cat no longer in the bag. Horse out of the stable, Richard started enumerating to see how long it would take for Jack to lose his patience. All right, all right, the ladder finally cracked. I get the picture. Hey, did you ever find out what happened to Brenda? Richard asked, trying to change the subject again. I overheard it got picked, but I couldn't get any details. Yeah, dude. It won a couple of fares, I heard Mr. Feldman tell the principal, Jack was suddenly thrilled to be able to give his friend good news for a change. It doesn't make any difference now, Richard said, suddenly depressed. Memories of his previous days of valiant exploration flooded him with images from when he ruled the factory floor over the weekends. Those cherished images drilled agony into his psyche and planted in it the beauty of the plant at dawn, when the first rays of sun shone on the shimmery leaves, casting halos around them. Don't you ever say that, dude. You are the maker of Brenda's. You are the Brenda maker. Nobody can ever take that away from you. Jack started to give his friend a pep talk, and the passion in his voice made Richard realize how much his friend admired his talent for making gadgets, even though the latter had never shown it before. I didn't know you cared about this stuff. You always make fun of me, man, he said, slightly embarrassed, but also a little less disheartened than before. Of course I care, Snake. Jack said, with great sincerity. You're my best friend. They stood quietly for a few moments. Well, Jack broke the silence, at least there is one good thing in this slow rolling disaster of a situation. Sneaking out the window to come here lifts the requirement for making excuses, this way we don't risk getting everyone's knickers in a not over some mishandled story detail. Jack said, gazing into the distance through the glass of the dome. They were sitting high up on a branch close to the top of the enclosure, and from there they could see a panoramic view of the city, all lit up at night, with cars moving down the streets, looking smaller than toys from that distance, and the contours of the factory, the old puffing dragon, barely noticeable without its characteristic cloud of smoke. 
Its chimneys were adorned with leafy garlands, as if they were preparing for a weird nature holiday, and their massive presence obstructed a good portion of the second dome, whose gleaming surface only made itself manifest as an eerie presence behind them. On the other side of the dome, two hot springs away, the young plant was showing significant progress, although it was still exposed to the elements from what they could distinguish through the scant light of the moonless night. Is it growing a dome yet? Richard asked Jack, leaning forward to see better and almost losing his balance. Careful, dude. I don't want to see you go splat. There's sharp metal down there. Jack said, and after he reassured himself that Richard was safely perched on his branch, right next to the nest of purple eggs, he tried to make out a dome shape in the darkness surrounding the young plant, but wasn't able to. I don't think so, not yet, he concluded. No worries, it's only September, it will build one up really quickly once cold weather comes along. Richard nodded in agreement. You do realize that we must be either stupid or crazy, probably both, to walk three miles through the desert in the middle of the night and climb a hot vine that grows in a swamp, with no light. Maybe my mother was right to send me to a psychologist. Should I share this moment with him, you think? Jack turned to his friend. Don't even joke about that, dude. Richard's mood soured suddenly. Well, Jack looked into the distance again, trying to find his home in the profusion of tiny roofs, all of them looking more or less the same under the clear night sky, bedazzled by stars. It's not the most comfortable of surroundings, but you sure can't beat the view. I guess, Richard agreed. 